All right, get your, uh, your, 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 your notes out. This is Sunday Night Crew. I expect kind of higher expectation. You guys are note takers and got your Bibles and follow along. We're going to look at two portions of Scripture. One is from John uh, chapter 4. Madison, can you get Dad's water bottle over there? John, John uh, chapter 4, and then 2 Peter chapter 1. John chapter 4 and 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. And let's do this. Let's stand and read the word together from John chapter 4. I'm going to read um, a, a few scriptures here, and then I'll go back, okay? John 4, 27. Do, do, do. <clears throat> I think that's right. Yeah, okay, just follow with me. It says, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Everybody say a woman. But no one asked... Um, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water, a water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? Jesus then spoke and said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say, do not say, excuse me, do you not say, four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages, and even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. You can sit down. That's great. There's a conversation that precedes this particular text between Jesus and the woman at the well. Some of you all know this particular situation. And Jesus basically comes to this woman. He asks for water, and then they have a conversation. He says, you, you want water, but I have water that I'm going to give you that, that will actually quench your thirst at the deepest level. Anybody know this story? Raise your hand. Yes or no? Yeah? Okay, so he's like, I got a water that it's living water. It's totally different. I want to know about this living water, she says. And they have this, a bunch of different things go back and forth. And he says, you know, I, you know she's like, I need to go tell my husband. He says, oh, you said very well. You have five husbands. And then she says, I perceive that out a prophet. You know, she's amazed at his um, knowledge. And, and she goes and tells the town what has happened. And, and, but, the, but the big thing that's happening in this conversation between the two of them is that he's saying, I have something that quenches your deepest thirst. And I think what's so important to the context of the scripture and really what we were talking about this morning is that it's relationship with God that actually meets our deepest needs. It's not going to be some circumstantial thing. It's not going to be, you know, you know, how good looking so-and-so is or how good she smells or how much money he has or, all, or your 3,000 qualities that we all agree on, you know, online in our, you know, harmony.com, whatever thing. It's going to be... Jesus at the center of our life, meeting our deepest need, and those two people coming together to have a successful relationship, amen? And so, anyway, that's going on, but there's another thing going on, and Jesus has, basically, he has a different agenda than what they have, and, and than what the disciples had. The girl got it, the woman got it, but the disciples didn't. They were surprised that he, that he was talking to a woman uh, because of cultural things, which, which I won't get into. Some of you guys know that, and they were surprised because... The truth is the disciples had a completely different agenda. And I want to make a parallel between the agenda the disciples had and sometimes the agenda that we have. It may be an unspoken agenda, but it's an agenda nevertheless. Sometimes it's a self-centered or selfish agenda. And no one basically asked 
um, Jesus or inquired or really was trying to learn what he was actually up to in this conversation in John chapter 4. But the woman, she got it. And, and, you know, she's like, could this be the Messiah? And she's telling all the other people and giving away the encounter and what had happened. And, and the, but the disciples, the ones that were closest to him, the followers, the believers, the ones who should demonstrate and have a lot more maturity, uh, they didn't get it. And there's evangelism and there's ministry going on in this text just before what we just read that's beyond just the connection between him and her. It was going into the town and and tons of people are being affected by this situation. And while all that's going on, these guys miss it. And so like, look back at verse 31. It says, meanwhile, his disciples urged him, hey, what's for lunch? That's really what's going on here in verse 31. Are you guys tracking with me here? So all this incredible evangelism ministry and, and this encounter, this supernatural encounter between this woman and at the well, and, and they're basically like, hey, hey, Jesus, you know, what's for lunch? Chick-fil-A? You know? And, and, and what I want to suggest to you is it's tragic. It's tragic. It's kind of a tragedy. They just don't get it. Then verse 32, look at this. It says, um, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Uh, Once again, they don't get it, and they basically say, wait a second, did he already eat? I I didn't think McDonald's opened up till 10, you know? Um, He's trying, and my friends from Louisiana, they they had this word for explain. They called it splaining. He's trying to explain it to them. So a second, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm trying to explain it to you. You know what I'm saying? He's trying to explain it to them, but they're not getting it. He's basically saying, hey, it's not about food. Are you guys tracking? It's not about food. This is about ministry. And he's, he's, he's explaining it to the lady, and the lady got it, but he's trying to explain it to the disciples, and they're like, what's for lunch? Did, did you already eat? And so verse, skip down to verse 35. He's telling them, you know, my food is totally different. And he goes on, he explains it, excuse me, verse 34. And verse 34, he says, my food is to do the will of whom sent me and to finish his work. He says, my food, the food that satisfies me, the food that fills me up, the food that occupies and preoccupies me is to do the will of God. In other words, you got your eyes on something completely different than what I got my eyes on. I got my eyes on something else. And, and, you're, and he basically he's saying, you're very short-sighted, very short-sighted. Verse 35, he goes on, he says, do you not say, four, they go on to say, four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes. Everybody say, open your eyes. And look at the fields. Look at the fields. Open your eyes. That's the title of the message tonight is open your eyes. Open your eyes and look at the fields. The whole town is showing up. People are getting saved. And these guys are like, hey, four months later till harvest. We don't harvest now. They don't get it. They're pushing it off. He's talking about the harvest. That's when we get all the food and we get it all. We reap it and cut and just do all that stuff. It's four months from now. They don't get it. And Jesus is like, no, you're trying to put this off, but the harvest is right now. Open your eyes. And then he goes on in verse 35, and the last part, he says, you know, they're ripe for harvest. They're ripe for harvest, and Jesus is trying to get them to kind of take the glasses off. You're not getting the point here. This, 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 is, 
this is something that's just kind of been burning in me, you know, um, as we, in particular, when I've been thinking about there's seasons in a year of harvest. There's seasons where of preparation, and then there's seasons of harvest, in, 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 in the work of God, in the economy of God. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but there's just ebbs and flows in the body of Christ. And I just want you to know, as your pastor, we're in a season of harvest now. I actually think it's going to be a longer season than what is normal because of what's going on in the big picture on a more global level. Turn now to 2 Peter chapter 1. That's the other text I want you to see. And maybe just hold your place in that particular text in uh, John chapter 4, which is one of my, honestly, favorite texts. I always say that about scriptures, but it really is one of my favorite ones. So 2 Peter chapter 1. This is not the Bible I usually teach from, so I feel lost. You guys getting something out of it so far? Okay, I'm just setting something up here. So you're setting me up? Maybe. Maybe. 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, I'll begin reading in verse uh, 3, okay? Verse 3, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. So He's given us everything we need. Everything we need is found in God. It's consistent with John chapter 4 in the relationship with Jesus. He's trying to say, I've got water that will quench your deepest thirst. That's really the theme of the first half of that particular thing. Verse 5, he says... Um, for this very reason, oh, excuse me, I'll keep reading. Verse 4, excuse me. Through these, he has given us the very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort, everybody say effort, make every effort to add, everybody say add, add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then it goes on. There's something really profound here, but basically saying if you possess these qualities, you basically will grow, you'll mature. And, and, if, and, the, and you have to add them to your faith. There's an effort. This is what discipleship's all about. We're not supposed to, if you're not doing something, you're, you're not staying the same. Life is motion. We're not just treading water. So wherever you're at in your relationship with God, it requires investment. It requires that you add to your faith. It requires that you make effort to move forward and to grow. I'm not saying that you need effort to be saved. I'm saying you need to make effort to be continually sanctified. I'm saying you need to make effort to be able to progress in your faith and make more of a difference and increase your influence on the earth. Are you tracking with me? And so then he goes on in verse 9. It's funny, this particular um, experience I'm having right now is going to help me with my illustration in just a minute. But if any one of you does not have them, if you don't have these things, this incredible list, um, he is nearsighted. Everybody say nearsighted. Underline or circle that word, nearsighted and blind. And he has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. Now, I just want to pray for you. Just close your eyes for a second, okay? Father, in Jesus' name, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you, you open our eyes. You would. You would open our eyes to see, that we'd see the food that you want us to eat, that, you, that we would see the will of God, that we would see the harvest that is ripe un, unto, the, the, the fields that are ripe unto harvest right now. Not in four months, 
Not in four weeks. Now. Would you open our eyes, God, to see? Would you help me communicate whatever you want me to communicate tonight? A timely word for Connect Community Church and for the people that are here. In Jesus' name, amen. May we not be hearers of the word, but doers. Amen? So here's, here's what I want you to see. There's, a, there's, a, there's that line in there, that, that, that word nearsighted just kind of popped out at me in a particularly profound way. And in John uh, chapter 4, there, it, Jesus says something very similar to that. I want to see if I can uh, find it. Um, help me find that, Jesus. It's somewhere in there. I'll come back to it, but I know it's in there. Anyway, he says something about being blind there in John chapter 4 as well. But um, I can remember when, I don't remember where this was. My wife probably remember better than me. But I remember one time I, I was driving in my car, and um, I had my, my top down, not my top down, but the, the, the uh, sunroof open, windows open, and I was driving down the highway, and something came, like sand came in through the window, and it went into my eye. And it actually wasn't sand. It was a small uh, piece of metal. And it, was, it, was, it, ha- it was, looked like a dot on my eye, but it had pierced my eye, and it actually had some length to it. So it was like a small, um, you know, uh, mm-hmm, help me preach. I can't help. Yeah, not a dart. Yeah, a dart. I like that one. It was a dart. It was an arrow. That pierced my eye and went through the back of my head, and it was awful. And everybody can see it. No, but anyway, this piece of this piece of metal went through my eye, and and I kept. Uh, I came home. And I was trying to. My, my wife knows this. I'm kind of a sissy about getting things out of my eye, and it was like it was right just outside of the uh, what's the middle part, the darkest part, pupil, pupil iris. This is going to be an interesting. We got like 29 answers, and I don't know the real truth of it anymore. So. Yeah, pick. Um, but the middle, middle part, the bad part, the thing, it's right on the edge of that. It could have been really, really serious. And so my wife couldn't get it out, and, and I couldn't get it out. And every time I touched it, it was getting worse. It was getting more irritated. It was, because I thought it was a piece of dust or a piece of sand, but it was actually pushing it into my eye. So I had to go to an eye doctor, nevertheless. I'd never been to the eye doctor before. And, and I remember going to the eye doctor, and they put you in that bracket thing, you know, where you're just like... Bleh! You know, and they're doing, it's like plastic surgery is getting ready. And then they do this air thing, poof. It's like, whoa, what was that? Anybody, anybody with glasses, you know what I'm talking about. And I was like, what the heck was that? Poof, oh. And then he's like, the doctor comes right up into here. He's like, he's, uh, can you see my soul? You know, he's just like looking right into my eye. It was very awkward. And he goes in there with some particular, like, microscopic tweezers or whatever, and he pulls this thing out of my eye. It's horrible. And I had the hardest time seeing, you know, uh, before that, but right after that, oh, I just felt so good. I was, felt so free. And, and, um, but when I was there, I was, I, was just, I was learning a lot about just vision and eyesight and different things like that. And I learned about uh, what nearsighted meant from the eye doctor that day. And I didn't know what it meant. I had no idea that um, before that injury, I had no idea what it meant, but it's the only medical profession that names your condition for what you can actually do right. Those of you who have glasses or contacts, you know what I'm talking about. So if you're nearsighted, then what does that mean? 
Right, you can see close. So like if you're nearsighted, you like you can see the dust on the page and the finger marks on this, but if you take off your if you don't have your glasses on, you take them off, you you're all like colors and blur and you can't see anything. My sister was nearsighted. I'm like, "Nearsighted? What are you talking about? You can't see that sign." She says, "I know, but I can see you." You know, and we'd be driving down the highway, and I'm like, tell me when you can see the exit, you know what I mean? And, or, how, or tell me when it goes out of focus, and I'd be amazed the distance and the difference between the two of us, and yet the doctor was saying, you know, um, excuse me, she was farsighted. She was farsighted, so she couldn't see up close, right? But she could see far, right? So anyway, I was always amazed that the definition that the doctors would give for our problem seemed kind of backwards to me. I mean, I think they ought to name, you know, the condition for what the problem is really, really is. It's just weird. You know, it's like me going to the doctor and saying, I've got a broken arm, you know, and he says, yeah, but your legs work. You know what I mean? It's like, anyway, I don't know. That's just how I think. <laughs> What's your problem? You know, I've got broken leg. <laughs> You're in a sling. And it's like, anyway. But um, anyway, I tell you all this because that, anyway, God kind of speaks to me through certain illustrations to kind of get my attention. And, and I was thinking about this, this, this scripture and I was thinking about some of these things that, these conditions that we have sometimes. And I, I think that, that God is like an eye doctor. And I think he's constantly trying to, to fix our vision. He's trying to take things out of our eyes so we can see clearly. He's trying to get us beyond being nearsighted in particular, that we'd be more farsighted. And, and I think a lot of times we see we're nearsighted. We just see, you know, all the stuff that's right in here around our circle. As soon as I started doing this, I started thinking of a movie. Fat guy in a little coat. <laughs> I don't know if you know what that is. But anyway, I don't know why they came into my head. Start swinging. <laughs> All right, um, that has nothing to do with this, but if you just kind of drew a circle kind of around you, uh, this, this nearsighted realm, what does is, what is, what is nearsighted kind of relationship with God maybe look like to you? Just think about that for a second. What does a nearsighted relationship with God look like to you? Yeah, it's the here and now. It's my stuff. It's my needs. It's my, my, my personal concerns, my, my personal wants, and kind of my own, just my own situation and my own life. And, and um, I think that God is totally concerned about your bills, your health, your kids, your relationships, your whatever issues, issues. But, but I think that Jesus, is, what he's saying in John chapter 4 is that he's hoping that we're thinking a whole lot more. I think he's thinking, we're thinking a whole lot more than about our issues and our needs, I think he wants us to think a lot more than, than being preoccupied with lunch. What's for lunch? I mean, are you guys getting any of this, getting some of this, what I'm saying to you? So Jesus, he challenges his disciples, and um, he challenges his disciples to open their eyes. I got to find this. Can you help me find it where he says that in here? I'm, I'm sorry for my struggling with this, but I know it's in there. Where does it say it, right? What verse? Oh, yeah, verse 35. Do, do you not say four months more and then harvest? I tell you, open your eyes. Open your eyes. Look at the fields. So it's a lot bigger than lunch. It's a lot bigger than our nearsighted perspective and vision. I believe God wants to open our eyes. And, and I believe that God's trying to speak to us in our church. And, and I don't know how you see, but uh, if we did see, I think, 
I think, if we, I think if we did see as he sees, we do as he says, as you heard me many times say this, and, and I think if we could see as Jesus did, we would, we would be more preoccupied with his food, his, his priorities. But, but what actually would be seen? If we could see what Jesus sees, what actually would be seen? Do you, you know, there are, these are all approximations, but there are 7 billion people on the earth, right? Approximately. The, the statistics say today that there are actually 2.1 billion people who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So we're, we're, the, we're the biggest uh, religion on the planet. The fastest growing right now, we're growing at the fastest rate worldwide. We're ahead of Islam, just in case you're wondering. By 2.9%, our growth rate is ahead of them by 2.9%. So that's awesome. But there are 4.9 billion people who are scheduled to go to hell at this point. Now think about it. If, you, if, you're, if you're honest, think about it. That's just a number to us. We don't shed a tear over something like that. Not even flinch. We, we, it's hard. we can't. We can't even get emotional about that. So how do we get connected to that? Some um, ways to maybe get connected sometimes is, is illustrations. If we started talking about, and I, I didn't pull all this data out right now, but if we started talking about the recent Boston bombings and how many people died and how many people were affected there, or maybe you know somebody, then all of a sudden, you know, it's vivid because you can see. If we talked about the 9-11 experience that happened, you know, um, there's certain stories and there's certain situations. You even have pictures, you know, people jumping out of the, the towers and things like that. And all of a sudden it becomes more vivid, a soul, because you can see it, right? And if you think about even this current uh, plane that's lost, flight, what's 370? Is that what it is? Flight 370, 237 passengers, all of a sudden, we're like, it's vivid because you can, you can see a little bit more, and there's more, there's more illustration about that. And, you know, 9-11 lost almost 2,996 people died. And if you put in 9-11, you put, you put those 2,996 people, if you put, they, they would extend a half a mile uh, heel to toe if they were lined up. Half a mile, you know? And it changes everything when you can see it like that. Remember the tsunami that hit the Pacific Rim? Uh, there's a movie that we'll probably do during the At The Movie series related to that. But there were 250,000 people died. I think it was at the day after Christmas that that particular event took place. And those people, 250,000 people, if you put them heel to, to toe, heel to toe, excuse me, you'd, if you put those people heel to toe on 495 North, headed towards uh, New Hampshire, it, they, that would extend 45 minutes heel to toe. That's how many people that represents. Heel to toe. The 4.9 billion people that are, that are currently not followers of Jesus Christ, they haven't called upon the name of the Lord of their own choice and volition, if you were to put them heel to toe, they would go around at the furthest point around the equator, not just once, heel to toe, not just twice, not five times, not 10 times around the earth, heel to toe, not 20 times, heel to toe, 37 lines around the equator, heel to toe, 4.9 billion people. It changes everything if you can see it, not just as a number, doesn't it? It changes everything. And there was a... Um, just last week, um, my phone, there was an 
accident just up the road here. And we just found this out this morning. But the, the girl who died in a car, vehicular accident, traveling at a great rate of speed, 19-year-old girl, uh, her sister is, and I want to be discreet because, I mean, I want to be sensitive. Her sister, we just found out, is part of this church. And I was thinking about when I, was, I took a, like a 30-minute nap this afternoon. And this girl is precious girl. Um, I don't know if her name's public knowledge. Is it Gretchen? Okay, so Brianna is her name. She's gone. But her family's still here. And her sister, Cassandra, claims this is her home church. I don't, I don't know if I know her, but Deej knows her because he did a baby dedication, private baby dedication for her and her, her ch children. And um, I was just thinking, you know, I need to open my eyes. And I was thinking, I, I, need to tell the, I need to tell the church, too. Like, there are, there are opportunities and, and needs and situations and people and relationships right in front of us. And you might not be able to connect with 4.9 billion people if you can't see it. But if you ask God to open your eyes about the people that are in your life, he'll show you so you can see it. But we need to ask him. And I, I just want to challenge you. You know, we need, to, we need to do something. What can we do to show people uh, the love of God? What can we do to help people uh, never be permanently disconnected from God? What can we do in this life of our own, uh, in our own strength and abilities to help people make that connection with Jesus and experience living water? Because the gravitational pull is to be extremely nearsighted. That's the gravitational pull right here. Just staying all in here. Just me, myself, and I. And God's interested and cares about all that kind of stuff, but he wants us to see a lot further. And I think he's saying we need to open our eyes. What could we do to help this girl? I'll give you an opportunity to speak out. What could we do to help this family? She's gone. Bless her heart. Brianna's gone. But her family's still here. They probably live. This is our town. This is, this is the town we're supposed to reach for the gospel. What, what do you think we could do, guys? What's something we could do to help? Barbara. Yep, we can send cards. Absolutely. I'm sorry? We could obviously pray. Can you remember, can you remember Brianna's family for me? Uh, Cassandra Morris. M-O-U-R-I-S. Cassandra Morris is the sister. I'll, I'll be calling tomorrow. I don't know what that means, and I don't normally go public with these kind of things, but I just thought... This is an opportunity, you know. I would love to just shower this family with whatever they need. And I want you to pray about it and think about it. You know, what I, you, know what I like, you know what I was thinking? Is that if there's a wake or there's a funeral, we all show up. We all show up. How many of you would be willing to consider that? Give that a strong look. Okay, and we're going to tell you about it. Look on Facebook. Look on the, we'll send something out. I want to I bless the socks off this family. I know we can't do that for everybody, but this is something we can do. This is something we're capable of doing. And then we'll figure out what the needs are, and we'll try to meet that. But we have to, this is just one person, okay? You, you, you do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. If you just sit back and just, because you can't do something for everyone, do nothing, then you'll do nothing. We do for one what we wish you could do for everyone. And so I just think that God is trying to open our eyes and your eyes to not being so nearsighted. What's for lunch? As soon as, as soon as we, <laughs> I bet some of us have thought about eating already. 
You know what I mean? Getting out here and getting some food. And that's okay, and I'm all for that. I'm just trying to get us to see a bigger picture. Luke 15, this is another scripture that we won't go to necessarily, but I talk about this a lot and see one-on-one. It proves to us, Luke chapter 15, proves to us that we are, we are sometimes nearsighted, but God is completely distracted by that which is lost. He is completely preoccupied. You see three parables in this particular story, but one that's so profound is the parable of the lost son. He's, all, he's not con- is concerned about what he has. He's concerned about what he, yet, he doesn't have under his sphere and under his nose and in contact and relationship. His eye is on the lost one. Not, he, he, I think he loves all these people down here worshiping God, and I think, it, I think it's attractive and attractional to him, but I think he's like, oh, that's great over there, but he's looking around. Where's Where's my son that I, that's still not connected? Where's my son that's lost? Where's my daughter? Where, the, one that's not, the one that's not found yet. I think he's thinking that way all the time. But his disciples some, were, were preoccupied with other things. because, and, and we are too. I bet you, take this, take this you know, in love, but I, think, I bet you the last 10 prayers you prayed were about you. Not about someone else. That says we're nearsighted. We're nearsighted. And I'm just saying to myself, and I'm saying to you, connect, we need to open our eyes. We need to be more farsighted. And I want to stir you to farsighted living. I don't know if you've ever lost something of value to you, but when you lose something of value to you, you suddenly become a little bit more farsighted. You start to become a little less about you and about others. And I remember when I don't usually tell this particular part of the story, but I've told this story many times. But I remember when we lost, I don't know, has anybody ever lost a kid before? I have. <laughs> I lost a kid for a little while. My wife and I were on the beach, and we, 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 we lost Madison. We're on vacation. Tide goes out. We like, it was built-in daycare. You know what I'm saying? Like the tide goes out. It's like every parent's dream because everything's quiet and serene and you're pretty sure they can't get all the way out there. You're pretty sure there's no riptide. But you, and they're just walking and playing. As long as they're kind of in front of you, you're good, and they're inside. And so Stacy and I are kind of looking, and we didn't have that conversation like, are you on watch? No, are you on watch? No, we didn't do it. We're just kind of like, you know, we kind of both doze off. And I can just remember popping up, and we, we both kind of woke up, and, and, and initially it's, it's no big deal, and we're kind of calm and cool and collected, and we're looking around. Have you seen Madison? Hey, kids, where's Madison? You know, have you seen Madison? And, and, and then all of a sudden... It goes to panic. It goes to freak out mode. Where the heck is Madison? And we just like all like a SWAT team just kind of hit the beach. You know what I mean? And, and if you're not going to help me find Madison, then get the heck out of my way. And everybody's just kind of, it's like an APB. Where, 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 where is she? Where is she? And we're spreading up and down the beach and we're looking for everybody. And remember coming to Lifeguard and he's got a radio. He's got a radio. He's just kind of sitting there just like, you know, getting suntan. I don't know. He just sprayed himself Hawaiian Tropic or something like that. And I'm like, dude, get on the radio. He's like, did you, did you check right around where you're seated, where you're sitting? Dude, yeah, I checked right around where I'm sitting. Did, 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 maybe they're with one. Do you have any other kids? Yes, they're all in my possession. I was so frustrated with this guy. I'm like, get on, do something. I didn't care if he was an authority or not. I was about ready to drown the dude myself. And he's just chilling. And I can remember being so aggravated by his inactivity when there was such a sense of urgency that I had. And, and I wasn't very Christian. And I yelled at him to get on the horn right now. And I wonder if that's how God feels with us. 
All, all we want to talk about is lunch. The whole town, I think this is what was happening in John chapter 4. They're talking about lunch, but the whole town was getting ready to connect. I think sometimes we're in here talking about lunch, and the whole town wants to connect at Connect. And, and all we want to talk about sometimes is just like, what feeds me? And, and I found Madison, and, and she had gone over these sand dunes, and she was like Miss Gabby, Abby, and she'd just go around, hi, what's your name, hi, what's your name, and eat people's food and stuff like that. And she was sitting down with these old people on a picnic table, just kind of like this, you know, eating chips or something like that, I don't know what I mean. And I can remember just, you know, boop, 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 you know, where's my kid? I mean, the panic, the, oh, just the, she's lost. I mean, I got to find this kid. And I remember when I first got her, like, I'll be honest with you, I, the first thing I did is I teared up. I was like, teared up. And the second thing was, I'll kill you if you ever get out of my sight again, you know. But God says, that's how I feel. That's how I feel. Let's, we get, let's go. Let's do something. Let's go be a part of Let's go be a part, as we approach in particular Easter, guys, let's be a part of his search committee. Let's be one of his paper boys. Let's make sure that we're, 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 doing, we're doing his will. We're eating his food. We're his ambassadors, amen? I never went, I never, when that was going on, I, the guy said, how many kids you got? I said, well, I got, what if the lifeguard said to me, how many kids you got? I said, I got four. He says, dude, you still have three. Like, what's the big deal? I never thought, you know, I've got three left, you know, I'm good. No, I, I mean, I lost Madison. And we got to get that which is lost. And so we're coming into Easter. And I just want to encourage you, get, get into it. This is an incredible opportunity. Heaven and hell are in the balance. There's so, um, there's so much amazing stuff getting ready to come in our church. And I'm just, I'm just imploring you, don't be preoccupied with lunch. Eat his food. You, you'll be healthy. You'll be happier. You'll be so much better off if you eat his food. Get, get tickets. Use every stinking resource. It amazes me sometimes how our default to being nearsighted. It's amazing to me. So how, how do we, the scripture says in Luke 19.10, if you want to look at, at another time, but Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's his preoccupation. I think if you want favor on your life, and I certainly do, and if you want favor on your church, and I think you do, that if we make our agenda his agenda, he'll put favor on our life and on our church. And so if we are about seeking and saving that which is lost, if we're, if we're about his food, his will, his agenda, if we're about being a reaching church, not just a keeping church, then I think he's going to bless our church and he's going to bless our life. So how do we do it? Write these things down. Number one, we got to accept the responsibility. We have to accept the responsibility. Listen, it's not just my job, just your pastor's job or the professional Christian's job. It's our job to reach the lost. Everybody say, it's my job to reach the lost. The scripture says it all over the place. Ephesians 3.10, you can write that down. Ephesians 3.10 says, through the church, say, I'm the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. 2 Corinthians 5.20 tells us that we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, or you could say newspaper boy, newspaper girl, as though God were making his appeal through us. Who does he make his appeal through? He makes his appeal through us, all of us. There's no plan B. 
There's no plan B for the 4.9 billion people. There's no plan B for this precious girl's family. The church is the hope of the world, period. We don't do it. It doesn't get done. Good news is printed. The papers will rot at the end of the driveway if we don't get the good news out. We have to take personal responsibility. I have to take personal responsibility as a saint. As a pastor right now, I equip you to do the work of the ministry. As a saint, I go out and do the work of the ministry just like you. Amen? We all have a responsibility as saints to share the good news. Number two, develop a personal relationship. Develop a personal relationship, obviously with someone who's disconnected from God. I think the best evangelism definition is to connect the disconnected. What do you, how do you do? How do you develop a relationship? Spend time with them. Hello. We need to spend time with them. What can I say? What can I give? You. Give you. Give your time. Listen. Talk to them. Serve them. It's not that hard. It's hard to spend time with them, maybe. It's not that hard once you do. Don't complicate it. I think that the church has very few relationships with people who are disconnected from God as a whole. I've been a Christian a long, long time. That's why I'm intentional sometimes about getting myself into environments where I know for a fact people are not Christians. I personally prefer sometimes those environments because it keeps me healthy spiritually. It keeps me from nearsighted Christianity and being preoccupied with lunch. Can you guys handle this tonight? All right, number three, look for opportunity to give them the good news by telling them your, or you could put our, story. Look for opportunity to give them good news, the good news, you could say, by telling them your story, or you could say our story. That's the church story. In other words, don't, some people are extreme, and they give them the whole turn and burn, turn and burn. You know, like in the South, they say, you're going to go to hell. You know, it's like a two-syllable word, hell. No, that's not what I'm talking about, nor am I talking about not talking to them. Just share your story. Some of the best, most evangelistic people don't even know a fraction of the salvation scriptures that I would be able to quote. For example, not even, maybe not even one, but they're super evangelistic. They just talk about how much they love God and how much they talk about God in every other sentence. And they're just, you can tell they're talking about their best friend. They have a relationship with him. And it's just so obvious. Or sometimes they just talk about, they let people talk about themselves and people love to talk about themselves. And then when they get to the end of talking about themselves, then all you got to say is, what do you do with all those problems? What do you do for all those problems? I don't know. I don't know. What do you do? Man, I go to this incredible church, and man, it's just, you ought to come. Let me give you three words for evangelism. Come and see. People do that every single week in this church. It happened this morning multiple times. It just People come right up to me and just say, I just, just interrupted this morning. I just want to tell you, that was, this was unbelievable. I've never seen anything. I came out of the Catholic Church. Uh, you know, I got no qualms or quarrels with the Catholic Church, so I'm not saying that for that purpose. But I'm saying, I came out of the Catholic Church. I'm here, and so, this person invited me. This, you know, this girl Jody invited me. This is incredible. This is incredible. I said, so you think you can come back again? Oh, yeah, I'm coming back again. The kids, the little teenage kids are with them. They're like, hee, this is awesome. You know what I mean? It was, all you got to do is just invite people. You got to come and check it out. It's not that hard. Look for an opportunity to tell them your story. What did God do in your life? Or our story. 
This is, a church, this is a church for imperfect people. We're the perfect church for imperfect people. We exist for the unchurched. We design services that are predictable and powerful so people want to come. We, let people, we give people an opportunity every single week to make a connection and contact with God himself. Amen? Matthew 5, 16, it says, let your light shine before men. Sometimes we don't make a difference because I think sometimes we're not different. Matthew 5, 13 through 14 says, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You, however, are the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. We have to shine. We got to get out there and shine. Number four, look for an opportunity to give them an invitation. Look for an opportunity to give them an invitation. Listen, you're the cream of the crop, you guys that are here. You're the hungry people. So I'm assuming you can handle this and, you, you, and that you'll do something about this. But you've got to look for an opportunity to give them an invitation. I want to challenge you that way. I believe in practical Christianity. I think we are sermonized way beyond our level of obedience. We, uh, listen, it's a lot of pressure to come up here and just come up with something new every single week and give you something just that just, you know, makes your ears itch and tickle and you're, you're, you're just gives you a high in the Holy Ghost and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes it's just we got to go to work. Sometimes we just have to, it's practical. Sometimes it's like you're not going to grow, you're not going to get any healthier, you're not going to get any happier if you're not doing the will of him who sent me, my food, God's food. And it, let me tell you something, it's awesome when your friend comes to church, trust me. When your friend out there that you're connecting with comes to church, that's when you're going to love your church. That's when you're going to love your God. That's when you're going to grow in your relationship with God. Listen, I just had a friend. This has happened many, many times in my life, so I'm not telling you something that I don't do. I lead from the front of this. My staff will tell you this. I have always led from the front of this. I can do better. I want to do more. Sometimes I get depressed because I'm not doing enough. But, you know, just recently, uh, you know, I saw the fruit of just pouring into somebody, conversing with somebody, talking to somebody about the Lord, and now he's coming here with his entire family. He got saved. His wife got saved. His kid uh, gave his heart to Christ. All three of them got baptized uh, two Sundays ago just, just because I gave him an invitation, just because I shared my story, just because I took responsibility. Heaven is in their heart. They're, they're changed forever, eternally. And I get, to, I, get to, I get to experience that reward. And I can remember, you know, uh, sitting over there watching them come to church, just kind of taking it all in. You know, that shock and awe that happens when people first come and like, you know, the rock band's going and people are just, woo, you know, on the Jesus juice. I, I love watching that. But I also got to stand right here and preach the gospel and watch them look me right in the eye and say, I, I want to give my heart to Jesus Christ today. That's awesome. And you get the opportunity right out there when you bring a friend I'm encouraging when that, when that altar call takes place and when that, when that net is thrown, you get to peek. I give you all permission to just kind of go, just look, peek. All of you have permission to peek. And it's, and it's, and it's not as a pastor, but as a saint, we get to experience that. And when you do that and, 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 and you get to see that, I'm telling you, it'll change you from the inside out. I want to remind you that the pull is to get some more earthly food, and we need to get some more spiritual food. I'll, I'll close with a story, and then I want to pray. And then I want to challenge you to do something. I'm not really sure exactly what it is, but I do have one idea. Um, long time ago, I took a trip to uh, the south. I was, I was uh, my, family, my family was already south, and I got on a plane. There was a connection 
uh, flight, and I remember getting on the plane, and I was exhausted from ministry. I was tired, and I don't like to travel that much, certainly not by myself. And um, this particular time, I can remember just kind of being a little bit overweight, a little bigger than I am right now, and I remember getting, and I always used to like to get the outside seat, but I got the inside seat, and I was kind of, you know how that the plane, you probably don't care about this, but the plane was kind of curved like this, so I was kind of like, you know, like that, so, and I wanted to sleep, so I get down, and I just kind of knock, uh, kind of tuck my neck in there, and I'm just, I'm going to sleep. I mean, I am just, I hope nobody talks to me. I hope nobody sits next to me. I just don't want to, I don't want to speak to anyone. All of a sudden, this, this big, like, burly, kind of Texan guy, cowboy hat, sits down. He's, oh, making a bunch of noise and moving around. I can feel him bumping me, and I'm just trying to ignore him. Just going, I'm just going to say, I'm not, I'm not going to open my eyes. I'm not going to open my eyes. And he's bumping me, and he's bumping me. And all of a sudden, he just slaps me just like that. And he goes, hey! Uh, and he introduces him, what's your name? And I was like... My name's Derek, you know. you know. Go back to sleep, you know, go back to sleep. He goes, so tell me, what do you do? <sighs> I just want you to know, I wanted to lie so bad. You know, I'm a drug addict and I'm on him right now. <laughs> That's what I wanted to say. And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, you know, well, man, I'm, uh, I'm in sales. No, I'm... Uh, I'm a pastor. He's like, get the F out of here, you know. You got to be kidding me. And he's just like, that's unbelievable. He's like, you know, I don't believe in all that religion stuff. I don't believe in organized religion. And I'm like, man, I don't either. I'm like, here we go. It's on like Donkey Kong. And he tells me, you know, he comes from a Jewish background. I'm like, that's cool. You know, Jesus was Jewish. And we start talking about just kind of some different things about the Jewish faith. And I, of course, I grew up in a Jewish community, so I knew a lot about it. And we had this incredible conversation. And it just, you know, but my, I just want you to know, my default was to be incredibly nearsighted. Does anybody relate to what I'm talking about? I just wanted to sleep. I didn't care if you went to hell. <laughs> Obviously. I'm not saying I was consciously trying to hope he went there. I'm just saying that I had an incredible opportunity right in front of me. The community is right in front of you. There's a community right around you. There's incredible stuff happening, and we're like, what's for lunch? I want to take a nap. I wanted to sleep, even lie. But I can just tell you, we just had this incredible conversation, and uh, we both, I, I, didn't, I thought we were going to miss each other at the connection, but um, I remember getting off the flight, and he's like, can I, you know, can I get your email? And and uh, I said, yeah, and we exchanged business cards and phone number, and, and then I just said, and I didn't, I just, I just thought, you know, that's it, maybe that's it, that's as far as it's going to go, and we just had this cool conversation, and later on, I saw him in the airport, and we bumped into each other again, he came up to me, he said, man, could you pray with me? Like, would you pray for me? I'm like, oh my gosh, like, like put the, here's a softball, pastor, can you hit this? <laughs> and I prayed with him to receive the Lord. And I could have missed that. I could have missed that. And I can tell you honestly, I've missed more God moments than I can count. More, more times I've quenched the Spirit than I can possibly imagine. And I'm sure you have too. But I want to pray that God opens our eyes. I want to pray that He helps us see the harvest is right, right now. Right now. Would you stand up and let's pray for a couple minutes. That he opened our eyes.
Gretchen, do you have those, that little resource that I was talking about? And Yeah, and the worship team can come up right now. Worship team can come up right now. Um, I want to be real practical, okay? Just get, get in the game in the next few weeks. What can I do? Get the word out about Easter. All the services, all the time. The next couple months are going to be extremely evangelistic at Connect. Um, Easter is going to be off the chain. I'm just telling you, I can't tell you what's going to happen right now because there's a few little things to work out. But we have an incredible service. And, and, and the, um, the end of the service is going to be so powerful. If you have anybody who doesn't know Christ, uh, I'm telling you, they're going to get saved. I promise you, they're going to get saved. And what I talked on tonight, um, I'm going to be talking about the message I think on Easter is going to be called FaceTime, just helping people see Jesus who can't see Jesus. What gets in the way from people seeing Jesus? It's going to be very personal, very evangelistic. I'm telling you, I don't know how to get them there. Get them there, okay? It's going to be, going to be a one, one to remember. Um, these are little resources that we're passing out, okay? And this is what I want you to do. I want you to think about those people that are in your sphere. I don't know the people you know, okay? Here's how we can partner up. There's people you know that don't know Christ, you can get them here. I can't. I might be able to say something in a different way or maybe sometimes in a better way than you can. We need to partner up. I think evangelism is a partnership. Some people plant seed. Some people water. God always makes it grow. So you guys are the seed planters, maybe. I may come in and water that on Easter Sunday or any given Sunday. Don't wait just till Easter. Just tell them Easter is one of your best opportunities. Invite them to church right now. But what precedes the success of the seed that you're sowing is that you sow to the Spirit, that you pray for these people. If you will get a burden for these people, God will touch their heart. I'm just telling you. And sometimes it takes a long time. You need to keep praying for people. Some of you, 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 you gave up. I want to encourage you, don't give up. Don't start praying for people. I mean, we had a girl come back just this morning, just you know, falling away from the Lord, falling away from church. She's back. Praise God. It's just so wonderful. I mean, just in my heart, I was crying on the, on the front, just tearing up, just thinking about, you know, how God pulls people back because people on the front row continued to pray for her and didn't give up. God, Luke 18, 1, pray and never give up, the Bible says. So there's people in your sphere. You, does anybody know some people? They're thinking of some people right now. Does that kind of, all right, those need to be on your, your little, I, I, we call it a prayer blessing, but it's really a target list. You know what I mean? It's like, Okay, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine. You want to see their, their soul surrender to Jesus Christ. You are an instrument of righteousness. You are an ambassador. You are the one that can play a significant role in their life. Somebody did that for you. Almost probably 90% of you were, came to Christ through a personal relationship. 87, 87% of the people who came to Christ, it was through a personal relationship. 87%, that's a lot of people came because of just one person connecting with you. Very little, only a small percentage happens in public ministry. It's more and more, and a lot of it happens in a church like this because it's so strategic that way, but I'm just telling you, we need to partner up. If we can do both things working together, we can see a lot of people come to Christ, amen? And so I just want to encourage you to write that name down, carry that card around with you every single day. There are people that were on, on this worship team, um, not this morning, but uh, some of you guys know, Jeff Cuneo. I had a lifesaver. I carried it around for two years, praying for Jeff Cuneo's salvation. And on Easter Sunday, 2009, he gave his heart to Christ after two years of prayer. 
And I got to look him in the eye as he came up to me and told me, I gave my heart to Christ today. I said, buddy, that's incredible. I need to tell you a story. And I was able to pull the lifesaver out. He says, what's that? I said, come in the prayer. I'm going to tell you something. And I told him the story how I challenged the whole church to carry a lifesaver around in their, in their pocket, representing a person, that, I, that, that you were my lifesaver. I've been praying for you to come to Christ. He says, you kidding me? I said, no, this is you. I prayed for you for two years, Jeff. And we just cried together. And I ate that freaking lifesaver. It was disgusting. <laughs> Went through the washer a couple of times. So I'm just saying, get practical. Put those names on. Will you please put those names out on that card for me? No, before you leave tonight, if you can think of somebody, just, just take time before you leave. Like, carry that burden in your heart. Start praying for those people every single day. Act on the promptings of the Holy Spirit when he speaks to you. Do whatever you can. Use every resource we have. Listen, we're going to just, like, give you, like, we, we did a bunch of stuff already, but we're going to have stuff on Facebook that you can share. Remember that stupid video I did where I was dancing at Easter or whatever, that Easter wrap? Just, just share that to some other people. Somebody didn't see that already. You know, just share that. Invite them to church. Whatever it takes, we do all things so that by all possible means, we might save some, 1 Corinthians 922. Amen? Amen? All right, let's just pray. Uh, just, you know, agree with me. If I don't know, Pastor, did anybody else get something from Chuck, any of my elders, leaders? If you get something from the Holy Spirit, I, I, I'm done. I'm, I'm done my part. If you want to say something, you feel like you need to exhort the body or challenge somebody, you know, we're going to worship, and I'm just going to ask in this next song, um, you know, what would be awesome is if you sang that third song that you did again, can you do that one? That brand new one that was stinking rocking? Um... Name higher. Higher. higher, higher, yeah, yeah. That was that's it. I want, that's the one. Mm -hmm. There you go, higher. Um, but let's pray as they get that ready. Okay, can we do that? Can you just just agree with me? Um, thank you, Jesus. Lord, I want to switch hats from the office of a pastor to the office of an evangelist right now. And I commission every single person in this room to be an evangelist. In the name of Jesus, I come against uh, uh, a spirit of timidity and fear. Anything that keeps people from being bold in their faith in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. Lord, anything that keeps us uh, fearful, I pray the, the, that we, we have the fear of the Lord. He's not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but a power, love, and a sound mind. I pray that you make this church bold and powerful in the declaration of their faith. Lord, I pray that you make them bold and powerful in, in being a witness for Christ. Even, even if even the person on your list, sure, but even people that are not on your list, people that are in your path, people that you intersect with in life, would you, would you supernaturally open our eyes, God, just, just, just agree with me. It just come into, fall into agreement with this prayer that, that God opens the eyes of your heart to be able to see what he wants you to see, to be able to see his agenda, his purpose, his will. You have friends that don't know Christ. You have people that are lost, people who are disconnected, people who don't know God, who don't have a purpose and plan for their life, and we're so preoccupied and so nearsighted, and God wants you to be farsighted. God, help us to see in Jesus' name. There's some of you, you have, you have best friends that don't know Christ. I lost my best friend. He died before I shared my faith. And I said, that'll never happen to me again. And it did. It did happen to me again. Because I got nearsighted. 
Those things are painful, and they, 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 they're lessons that I had to learn the hard way. I just pray you don't have to learn like that. His, his, it, it, I'm not fully responsible, but I feel responsible. I feel like his blood is on my hands. I want you to take responsibility for those people in your life. I want you to get a burden for those people. You have relationship with them, not for your personal agenda, not for your nearsighted needs, but you're there for them on assignment from God. Accept that assignment in Jesus' name. I pray for, for a spirit of evangelism to come over this church. The Bible says, knowing therefore the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. God, would you give us a healthy fear of God and awe of who he is, his agenda and plan, his providential plan, Lord. Could you somehow, I don't know how you do it, Lord. I don't know how to say it, but would you somehow impart that to our church? Or can I get a burden? Can I get a burden? Place that burden on us, God. In Jesus' name. As we share and declare the works of God, the marvelous, wonderful works of God. People need what you have. People that don't have a family. People don't have people to turn to in tough times. People don't have friendships like you have. People are not experiencing the, the transformational uh, power of God and the presence of God. People are not able to, we take for granted what we have. But we've been given just the incorruptible seed and word of God on such a regular basis. And there's so many that don't know and so many that don't have. And maybe we take it for granted because we're not giving it away. Because we're so preoccupied with lunch. God, I pray that we eat your food in Jesus' name in this church. Maybe you need to repent that his agenda hasn't been your agenda. I just, I, I repent in Jesus' name myself. Just come on, church. If you need to do that, you do it too, right? I'm sorry, God, that I haven't made your plans my plans. I'm sorry, Lord, that I haven't seen what you see. Help me to see. Help me to see, you know, heel to toe every person that's in my eye gate, every person that's in my relational world. Help me to see who they are. Open my eyes, God. And as we worship in this next song, I pray that you take us from those, those places in ourselves to a higher place to a new level, to above the tree line where we get out of the woods and out of the forest of our own situation and we get above the tree line and we the best views in Jesus' name are above the tree line where we see your kingdom, we see your plans, we see your kingdom come because of what we're doing as we climb to those higher heights. And as we begin to pray and as we begin to worship in this next song, I pray that you take us into a higher place, you take us into a new realm of the Spirit, you help us to uh, have compassion and concern for the lost in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.